Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. That's Marketing Baby is brought to you by Aircule. Aircule is an agency that helps small content teams get control of their SEO, analytics, and content strategy. Susan and I have both worked with the Aircule team. They're amazing. They're super smart, and their free app, Atimo, tells you what content is performing, what isn't, and what to work on next. My favorite feature are knowing what pages are my wallflowers. These are pages with good engagement that aren't getting much traffic. Then I can figure out what to do next. Check it out at Ottimo.cool. That's O-T-T-I-M-O dot C-O-O-L. And now on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of That's Marketing, Baby. I am Susan Winograd, and I'm here with my amazing content queen co-host, Jess. Hey, hey. Hello. Today, we are going to be talking about something super near and dear to our hearts because it's something we did together at our last company. We did it from the ground up and we loved doing it and it was worked like so well. I was going to say, we did it like really freaking well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty proud of us. I mean, for two people, we stood stood this baby up pretty well. So some of it might be somewhat basic guidance for people that do newsletters, but I feel like there's so much room for improvement, specifically in the B2B newsletter side. I did, you know, I still do e-com, but I've very heavily been in B2B for the past five plus years now. And it's just amazing to see the difference between like how regimented and, you know, dedicated the B2C e-com world is with newsletters and email marketing. Like they're, they are married, right? And then you go to B2B and it's like kind of scattered and it's kind of stuffy and... I feel like they grapple a lot more with what to talk about, which makes sense because with e-com, it's like you're selling something. You talk about yeah. the thing that you're selling and it's 50 bucks and someone will buy it, right? So it's it's very transactional. Yep. B2B side, it's less transactional. So I feel like there's a lot of just this fuzzy fogginess around like, what should we talk about? And how do we know if it's successful? We never see leads direct come from it. Like no one ever clicks our book a demo button inside the yeah. newsletter. So does that mean it sucks? You know, like I feel like there's just all these questions. So Jess and I were saying, you know, let's just do an episode where we just talk from the ground up about how we built one that worked really well. And this is still a framework that I think you and I use every day. I mean, this is certainly something I use with my current clients. I mean, this is things that I've talked with you about and you've shared with me over on the, you know, your current job. So we're like, let's just break this down. I think that would be interesting for people, especially in the B2B world. Yeah, absolutely. Like a newsletter program that drives revenue, right? Like that's what we have built before. And I think that's what we want to walk you through today. Yes. Awesome. So do you want to kick it off? Content lady? (laughs) I would love to. All right. So we kind of broke this down into like four kind of kind of sections, like things you have to think about and actually do. And the first one is the audience. Like you have to get very, very crystal clear on who this newsletter is going to be for and who it's not for, really. And really don't deviate from that. Like you have to It's hard not to. (laughs) It's very hard. Because typically B2B, right? You have, you're selling to multiple personas. And there has to be a point person. There has to be a persona where you're like, nope, this is the one we're going to drive to. And that's going to be first, like the very first thing to set yourself up for success. Because if you're very clear on that, you can be then very clear on like what goes in 
that newsletter. And it's just going to be so much better for the reader than if you are kind of like, oh, it's kind of like for all these people. And, <laughs> you know, like we can kind of put some- If it's for everybody, it's for nobody. <laughs> no one, exactly. So first step is like, get very clear on who that is. And I wanted to share a thought of like, I mean, that's a hard thing in and of itself, but like one little way to think about how to find who that is, is hop into your CRM, HubSpot, Salesforce, whatever you use, and take a look at maybe for the past year, like what was the top job title who actually booked a demo? And that will give you a really good hint. Like that's probably who you're going to want to go after. The person who is most likely to convert, you know, book a demo, start a free trial, whatever, right? Like look at, try to find a commonality, whether that's job title or you know, amount, you know, budget spent on X, right? Like if you can find a commonality there, you can really start to understand like, okay, this is the audience I need to go after. And therefore, you know what you need to create for that newsletter. I think the other part here actually that is relevant is in episode two, when we were talking about where you get marketing inputs from, Mm -hmm. I think you and I, this is where it got super helpful for us because, you know, based on who actually uses the product, versus who is the decision maker and kind of the the person that will champion it as opposed to the person that's in it every day, sometimes not the same person. Correct. So that was one of the things I was thinking of like back when we did episode two was talking to sales was really helpful with that because they're like, nope, this is always the role that decides. Like this is always the person I'm on the sales call with. Like it might be designers that use it, but they don't make the decision whether or not to use it. The marketing team does. So that distinction is so helpful. And so sales is always really good about knowing like, who it is they're talking to, what forces them to make a decision. I think they really get an insights, if they're a good salesperson, they get really good insights into the pain points that exist that may not Absolutely. be obvious to us. And that really helps with knowing what to even write about to that audience. Yeah, 100%. So, okay. So now we have some clues about like who we actually want to create this for. Susan, can you talk a little bit about like, okay, how do, how do we know now go about building a list? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the part that it's like the well, I built it and they didn't come. <laughs> there's kind of like, we made it, but no one really signs up. And so there's a few things from an acquisition standpoint. I think that a lot of places put this pressure on themselves. They're like, we have to offer this amazing downloadable. And it's like, maybe, but sometimes what that means is they sign up for the download and then they unsubscribe. So I would say don't don't put a ton of effort on your, like, or not effort, but don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to yeah. try and figure out that perfect thing. Because- I think one of the things that you and I discovered was that our acquisition was actually better if we just persistently put out great content and we didn't try and entice them with anything. Our signup rates were better and they stayed. I mean, because what they weren't signing up to get the one thing or using a fake email or they opted in because they're like, sure, I'll hear from you ongoing. You know, it's like, and we were very clear about what we were going to deliver. I think that's the other thing is it's like, make it clear. We're like, you will get this newsletter X times a month. You will get X times a month, the webinar. Like we made it very clear what inclusion into this content community we made would bring. So from an, you know, an audience acquisition standpoint, it's like, that's really important. Make it super clear what it is they're going to get. No one likes a mystery and they don't want to sign up and then be getting 50 emails from you a week. So, you know, tell them what you're going to do and do it basically. But I think the other piece too is, you know, you have to, have enough from us. There's really two pieces to it. I mean, there's, there's what happens on your website. So the people that come to your site externally with nothing to do with what you're running on media, and then the people that you're talking to on media. So the people that come to your site, 
this was touched on a little bit in our last episode, but if you're not getting the right people to your site, you know something is up with your marketing. And who signs up for your newsletter is a really good indicator, which is why in the last episode, we had the have the quality question, right? It's like, are you driving the right people? So if you're putting out the right content and you're getting people to your site, they're probably going to opt in and then you're going to be able to tell like, yes, this is working or no, we're not attracting the right type of people. And at that point, that's less of a newsletter problem. That's really more of a marketing problem. So I always warn places, it's like, if people aren't signing up or you just have low traffic, it's like, you need to work on your external marketing to give them a reason to come there in the first place. Now, let's take it from the media side. If you are going out to try and bring people in, there's a couple ways. And I would really strongly suggest if you'd not listened to the last episode, listen to episode three, because we talk a lot about the metrics to measure with audience acquisition. And that is super, super, super relevant here. So a lot of people get very focused on the targeting. They're like, well, I can't target as well as I used to. And and it's a problem for all B2B, especially ones that want enterprise because you can't target enterprise people, right? You can't do it on Google. It's like enterprise people search the same way as consumers do. Like they don't say like, I'm searching for this, but I work at a Fortune 500 company, right? right? Like they don't tell you that. So, you know, set aside the, like the targets are going to be what they're going to be and you're going to test those regardless. But from a list building perspective, I think one of the things that you and I really nailed, and it's hard to do, but once you do it, it makes life easier, is you have to learn their language and you have to speak their language. It's so tempting for companies to be like, well, we want to get, we want to reach as many as possible. So they have these very like bland, watered down ads. You and I didn't do that. We made inside jokes that like only marketers and media people would get about or care. And when we hit it right, I mean, we had hundreds of comments on one of our ads and they were all like supportive and they were tagging people. They're like, Like, oh my God. This happens all the time, right? It was like, so-and-so, it's us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And just to give some context, this ad was a meme. Yeah. And it was just a really simple meme that like hit on a pain point that everyone in in advertising and marketing feels, right? So it was just like something really simple. And people were like, oh my gosh, these people, if this is the ad, like imagine the newsletter. Yeah. Like they get me. Yeah. They knew that we were in their shoes like every day. So that's usually the key. And that's not easy. I mean, you and I tested, I don't know how many memes, right? We found like two, there was one that was the ultimate winner every time. Then we found like another two or three that did really well. So from a list building perspective, it's like, you need to do something that it's almost like you are speaking in code. And the only person that's going to be able to decipher it is the audience you're going after. Like, that's how I think of it. I'm like, just pretend like you have a secret decoder ring and the only people that have that ring, like Ralphie, <laughs> your Ovaltine, so your message will be better, is those people. So when you do that, makes it easier because then it kind of doesn't, your targeting still matters, don't get me wrong, but it matters less because it's like when you, you can go after the obvious targets, but the people that are going to respond are going to be the ones that get it and they're going to be the ones that you want anyway. So in this era of, you know, reduced specificity and increased privacy, you need to be the one to make it very obvious who this should be for and have them kind of resonate with it. Yeah, that was the most beautiful analogy with the decoder ring. Like, man, gold star. Thank you. Um, what a way yeah. to start a week. I got a gold star from Jess <laughs> at the beginning of the week. The rest of the week is all downhill from here. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you brought up a really good point that I just want to hit on one more time, which is if you are already known for quality content, the odds of someone signing up for your news, newsletter 
infinitely go up, right? So like that should be an area of focus for you regardless. And if you are known for that, it makes it a lot easier to bring people in. I see so many places that it's like they're, they pin all their hopes on like this one white paper, you know, and it's like, they get all these emails and they're like, nothing happened. I'm like, because you're, it's, they got the thing they wanted. This was a transaction. This was not a relationship. You know, it's two very different things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One last thing to hit on, on this audience piece before we move on to the next kind of building block is is really think about your segmentation. So I think something that you and I did really well, Susan, when we were running, you know, Marpex newsletter was there were a group of people who knew, who wanted content from us, but weren't necessarily going to be a buyer. And then there was a group of people who very likely to be a buyer, like they fit our ICP, our ideal customer profile, and they had raised their hand. And so we made sure to segment the list in that way. We're like, we sent almost identical versions of the newsletter to those two groups, but very subtle differences to the people who were much more likely to be a customer. And that was based on, you know, ad spend and a couple of other, the quality question, right? Like the characteristics we knew would make them a a better fit for us. And so, you know, just keep that in mind as you're building this newsletter, there will be people who are just interested in what you have to say, but there are also going to be people who are interested in what you have to say and could potentially become a customer. And you really want to pay special attention to that version of the newsletter. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So now we know who we're writing this for. We know who, you know, we are going to segment it properly. We're going to build this list really well because we're going to be talking their language. So, okay. Now, like what goes into it? Like (laughs) here comes, you know, like you actually have to write it and like put things, put content into this newsletter. Right. So let's start here. What do they care about? And I think this goes back to, you know, really being good about talking to your customers really being good about talking to sales, listening to I think to this your- is also a good place for a reminder that they don't care about your product. Yes, they don't. <laughs> it's like everyone's like, I think they stare at newsletters like, well, what, how are we going to talk about ourselves this week? It's like, don't, don't talk yeah. about yourself. Talk about them, right? Yes. 100%, Susan. Thank you for saying that. Like, yes, find ways to celebrate them, find ways to talk about their problems. If you have an article or a blog post or an idea about something that is completely unrelated to what you sell, but it helps them be better at their job, that is perfect content for a newsletter, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. They are going to remember you as being like a provider of value and that will lead them to potentially become a buyer, right? So like focus on really what they care about. And again, like that's most likely not your product, your award you just won. And don't measure the, I mean, we're going to talk about the metrics, but like, it's important to don't measure the success of what you're sending based on how many demos you book. That's not a mark of success on a newsletter. So we're going to touch on that in a little bit, but it's also, I just wanted to point that out here as we're talking about content, where it's like when you're, I think that that's people write or come up with what the content's going to be with that framework of like, how can I get them to convert? It's just stop doing that. And it sucks. It's hard to tell a company that because they're like, but that's why we're here. And I'm like, I get that, but that's not what the newsletter's for. It's not, it's not a direct selling mechanism. It can be one. I mean, you certainly can get stuff off, but if you write it with that intent, people, I mean, they can smell that a mile away. It's, it smells gross. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bad luck. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about like, yes, put something in there. I'm pretty sure this is a true fact. As opposed to a fake one? As opposed to like, (laughs) yeah, fake news. (laughs) True fact. Yes, this is, I'm pretty sure in our entire time creating this newsletter together, you and I, I don't think we ever once put original 
content in it. In fact, I believe every single edition of that newsletter was repurposed content. And this is, that was the secret. Like that's the secret sauce. That's how you're going to be able to create a newsletter that one, like gets the message out that you're trying to get out to the market, but two, that's not going to just drown you in content creation. And like, what am I going to write about this week? So let's talk about that a bit. Go into your blog, go into your podcast episodes, go into anything that did really, really well on social. You know, I think there are so many ways to just repurpose or reformat something for a newsletter that you know, you definitely do not have to be writing original content for it. And it's what's going to help you just get, you know, something out into inboxes at the cadence that you want to do that. So, you know, find, I think the, a really good way to do this is find what's performing well. You know, if it's a monthly newsletter, go back to the previous month, look at what social posts performed really well. Look at what blog posts are bringing in the most organic traffic, right? Look at what podcast episode had the most downloads for the month and pull from there because that odds are it's going to be really valuable for your newsletter readers. Yep. I want you to touch on this point because you did this and it was interesting to see the change, but the sending it from a person as opposed to having it come from a company. Yeah. Okay. This is a nice little, like, I don't like the word hack, but it, you will see a drastic change in engagement. We did anyway. So, you know, I think a lot of companies are like, it's from the company, the newsletters from the company, you know, you sign off the, you know, insert company name here team, right? Something that I think led to a lot of success for us was making sure it felt like and looked like and sounded like and did come from a person. And so there was a point where we actually like dropped my picture into the sign off. It was, you know, signed off by me. The from was, you know, Jess at Marpipe. And so it was just very clear that it was coming from a human being. It was written by me. It was written by a human being. It felt like it. And, you know, just kind of seeing that repeat week over week, once we actually got it to be a weekly newsletter was like, People knew me. People would reply and be like, hey, this was really interesting. Thanks for sharing, right? Mm-hmm. Because they knew that it was coming to a, it would code to a person. It wasn't just going to get dropped off into like a weird hub spot. Yeah, like the no reply at such and such company.com. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think that was part of like, charm and the trust of that newsletter was that it came from a person that they were seeing consistently send them value. And that feels really big. Yeah. I think the other piece of this too is just the call to action piece, Yeah. which like I said, sure, have a book, a demo. (laughs) Do not judge whether your newsletter did well based on how many people click on that. You know, I think newsletters are about micro commitments. You know, it's kind of like, it's like 500 micro commitments of clicking through to read something or clicking through to listen to the podcast or opening it or, you know, it's dating, it's not marriage, right? So it's, you know, it's like, it's don't, I think the, people really get hung up on the call to action. And it's kind of like, you need to provide value and then let them show you what they care about. You know, it's like, what call to action did they click on? Because if you keep putting in book a demo and no one ever freaking clicks on it, but they click on all your other content, stop trying to force it down their throats. This is what they want. You know, it's like, give the people what they want. So the CTA, I feel like there's a lot of pressure that gets put on it and a lot of judgment around whether that one metric performed or not. But your audience is going to tell you what they care about if you look at the CTAs they actually click on. For sure. One like kind of rule of thumb I had was like, give them the next right step. Yeah. Right. So like if I just read a blog post about X, 
I probably have three more and mm-hmm. like, here's some related reading or, Hey, here's a podcast episode on this very topic, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to learn more. So I would just kind of treat it as like an invitation. Like I've just taught you a little something in here and it's kind of an invitation to bring you to the next thing about that topic. Yep. Cool. So next is the other thing that tends to give people a lot of angst is cadence. (laughs) Yeah. So bucket three is cadence. How often do you talk to them? And so I think for you and I, this was originally really driven by what we felt we could produce and have it be quality. So when we first started, we didn't have as much content, you know, and and we weren't really sure what people were going to respond to. So the last thing we wanted to do was create five bazillion pieces of content and then realize halfway through, hey, no one cares about this at all, but we've already have all this content, so we have to send it. So I think some of that's driven by how mature your content process is at that point. You know, if if you do a lot of content and the newsletter has just kind of been something you've neglected, this is probably something I would say you could start weekly. Yeah, we didn't just because we didn't have the resources to at first. But then once we built that backlog of content, it was able to spur other ideas and other things that we could do. So it got easier and easier. But when we started, we did it twice a month. Yep. And then it got to the point where like, because we were producing so much more content so efficiently, it kept getting longer and longer. And finally, we were like, maybe we should do less, but do it more often, you know, so then you can kind of start playing with the how much do you put in each one? So there's less in each one, but you send them more often. You know, like one of the things, and this is e-com side, but I was talking with someone who brought up this example and they actually are a great example of this is Sticker Mule. The owner sends an email like once a week, they have a weekly deal. He sends an all text email and he's like, here's this week's deal, get it before Friday. And he signs his name and that's it, that's the email. <laughs> so worth being on the list for because they do really good deals, right? So it's like, it's very straightforward. It's very short. So you know, don't feel like your newsletter has to be this really big, long thing. If it is, then maybe you just need more of them. Yeah, absolutely. And we tested that too. I mean, Mm -hmm. like we were- We were afraid we could unsubscribe. (laughs) We did. We were very ready to pull that back. So we went from bi-weekly to weekly and we were a little nervous. Like, okay, a bunch of people are going to unsubscribe. Let's be ready for that. And if they do, we'll go right back to it, right? But actually what we saw was all of the things- Stay the same. They went up, right? Like everything improved and- I would attribute that to just a little bit shorter newsletter is like, mm-hmm. I have time to read this. Like, I know I'm going to get two quick bites of really great info and I can move on with my day. Yep. And so I think like, just test that out, try, you know, and make it realistic. Like Susan said, you know, I think that makes perfect sense, especially if you're a small content team, but just test it. See, you might be really, really surprised at like what happens when you yeah. do that. Yeah. And I think the two things to look at with that are is the, the unsubscribe rate is kind of the obvious one. The other one to look at is if your open rate starts going down because then you'll kind of see they're starting to get fatigued. You know what I mean? And you'll see that like like a welcome series is a place where you see that a lot where it's like it's always like strongest to least strongest, right? So it's like the first email always has really high open rates and then they tend to dwindle the longer the series is. So, you know, with something like that, it's kind of like if your unsubscribe is staying the same, and your open rate is staying the same, you're golden, right? It's like they're still opening as much as they always did. The same proportion of people open every time. They're not, you know, you're not seeing your unsubscribe rates go up. So I feel like that kind of covers the, okay, on the front end, when it shows up in their inbox, they're happy and they open it. And it covers the back end of like, they're not just opening it to leave, right? They're not looking, they're not opening it to find the unsubscribe button. Those two things I think will, will tell you if you're doing it the right, the right amount, if you start increasing frequency. That was a great point. I want to double click on something you just said there because I think we sh- we didn't bring it up yet and we should have. And that is the welcome drip. I think another little mechanism we had that was really successful 
was whenever someone signed up, we sent them a set of three emails, one a day for three days that welcomed them, right? And we did that because there is like this human innate kind of reaction that when you click some sort of button, you want some sort of reaction out of it, right? Yeah. I want to know that it actually worked. I want to kind of see an example of what I might get. Mm -hmm. And so we did this really nice job of like, Susan kind of wrote this beautiful, like, this welcome, welcome drip that was like, you know, here's what you're going to get. You're one of us now. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, here's some of the, here's some of our best performing content. Yeah. Like here's our greatest like, hits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is kind of what you can expect from us. Here's some really interesting data that we've found that you might be interested in. And, and by the way, you're going to get more of this too. Right. And I think what that does is like, if we have just sent a newsletter for the month or the week and someone signs up, they're not going to hear from us for another another seven days. And yeah. this just really ensures that like we're building a little bit of trust before they really get that first edition of the newsletter that they get. Yeah. And that was what was always also interesting is that we didn't see like that was another one where we're like, well, if we we had I, I just made like one welcome email. We're like, what if we made it three? We're like, oh God, everyone's gonna unsubscribe. Like, no, <laughs> it has zero percent unsubscribe rate. It was crazy. Yeah. I could like for months I kept watching them, like, surely people are irritated by me and they want to leave. But we had no unsubscribes and the click-through rates were like 40 something percent. One of them had like 50 something percent. It was crazy. Yeah. So don't discount what those can do for you. And I think you made a great point too. It's like there was nothing, even though I wrote the welcome series and then you did the ongoing newsletter, it didn't feel like two different people. We felt like no. the same, we felt like two people doing the same thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, there was nothing in the welcome emails that felt off from what they would receive from you later. It still felt like the same thing. So I think that's, it's a good point that you made a kind of like, it's a good taste of like, this is what you'll get. And then when they get like, oh yeah, that is exactly how the welcome email was, you know? So it was like this seamless transition of, you know, meeting their expectations about what they were going to get. Totally. Just a quick little note on subject lines. We had some really like high performing subject lines yeah. in our emails. And I just wanted to like throw a couple of them out because that's always one of my favorite things to see is like, oh my gosh, they're, they're fun. I know. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like very instant gratification, right? Yeah. I just so helped anyway, the company rewrite all of theirs and it was so fun. I was just like, nope, cut this down to five words. And they're like, oh yeah. my God, yeah. <laughs> like the open rate was so much. I'm like, don't get wordy. Like the shorter yeah. and pithier you are. The better. Yeah. So I think... Off the top of my head, I remember a couple top performers. One, I think actually the top performer was, we made this for you. Mm-hmm. And when, you, of course, the subject line has to match what's inside yeah. or it's clickbait. Uh, just a little uh, disclaimer there. You got to deliver. You got to deliver gotta the deliver. goods. And we did. And when you went in there, there was a downloadable PDF. And I'm trying to think of what it was now. I can't actually remember what the content was. But it was a really, really, uh, everything we created was great. So yeah. I'm just going to say it was a really great. <laughs> it runs together in our head. <laughs> Oh, good. It all just blurred. <laughs> but it was a really cool downloadable PDF, right? That was like, hey, we made this PDF for you. So we delivered on that promise. I do remember two more that performed really, really well. And I'm sure you have a couple in your mind too, Susan. One was just the phrase, like the 101 on subject, right? Yeah. So like the 101 on creative testing, I think was a really popular, like a very well-received one because people understand in the US anyway, like they understand what 101 means. Yep. They know they're going to get some sort of like very entry level kind of foundational lesson. And that's of interest, right? Like it's funny, you think sometimes your readers might need some four 400 level class and really what they want are the foundation. So yep. that was a really, really good one. And one more that I remember being great was actually just using brackets for the first couple of words in the yeah. subject. So for instance, like you're invited in mm-hmm. brackets and then like, 
you know, whatever, whatever webinar or whatever, whatever event. So that kind of calls, calls out that first little bit of like the attention getting piece and then kind of, I think it also helps them categorize it in their mind. Yeah. Like what, what, like, what is this going to be about in a way? Like they can immediately categorize, let's take as an invite. Is it a piece of content? I have yeah. a customer that does that with all of theirs and they have really good open rates too. And I think it's like, because people get so many emails, I think it helps them organize it a bit better in their mind where they're kind of like, oh, okay, this must be a webinar or something. You know, it's like yeah. they kind of know before they even go into it, sort of, they have their expectations managed about what's going to be in there when they open it. Totally. Did you have any subject lines that like really stood out to you? Honestly, I can't remember. I know we had tested if there was, we had done an AB test on the welcome series and I cannot remember what we did. I just remember when I changed it, it jumped by like 6%, but I cannot recall for the life of me what it was before and after. I so wish I could remember, but it's, I should have written it down. I don't remember at this point. Oh, I remember it. Oh. You're going to be obsessed. Yes. Yeah. That's what it was. Yes. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. Thank you. And yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We are a hard the, people. <laughs> this is why we work so well together. We always remember what the other person does. <laughs> yeah. And I think before that it was kind, it was something more about like, about the fact that it had our greatest hits in it. Like it was a little more explicit and literary, like literal about what was going to be in it. And I was like, let's just do something with a little more mystique, you know? And I remember it was like the, the open rate was like 22% and then it went to like 34 or something crazy. When I'm like, let's just do something. I'm like, I'm just going to make it. And I said, I think in the email, I said, you're going to be obsessed with this guide or something. I'm like, what if I just made that the subject line? So I was like, yeah. let's do it. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it yeah. consistently did well. So yeah, that was the one. I think something interesting to note too, and then we'll jump into metrics, is three out of four of those subject lines we just talked about had some version of you, your, yep. right in them. So like right for the one person, yep. right? like right for the person who's going to open it, it, it just makes it so much more like, feel personal and like, oh, this was created for me. And it also so. goes back to that they don't care about your product. Like totally. when I see places sending subject lines, they're like, here's our blah, blah, blah. I'm like, stop, just stop. They don't yep. care about your blah, blah, blah. Word. Like I know yeah. you care. And I, and, and the thing is, I'm like, most times you can take that and transfer it into something that they care about. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not that the thing itself is bad. It's like the product's fantastic, but it's like, stop talking about your perspective. Talk about theirs, right? It's just yeah. shifting that mindset. 100%. You want to talk about metrics, email metrics? Yeah, maths, all the maths. So, I mean, I think, you know, these have gotten a little fuzzier because of the Apple privacy stuff. So, you know, people that opt out now, it doesn't count their opens and such. And I noticed this even in e-com, it's kind of hard because it'll it'll say that there were no sales from an email. And I'm like, when I said like on my candle company life, when I send one and I get four sales, I'm like, well, four people didn't just show up and buy it two hours after I sent the email and it, it like doesn't yeah. attribute any sales. And I'm like, that's not true. So that's made it a little harder. But I think, you know, there's the part that I think a lot of people don't do. And this goes back to that quality piece. And we talked about this in the last episode about having a qualifying question to understand. One of the things that was so interesting to me with our newsletter is that we had it broken into like the ICP crowd and then the non-ICP crowd. So people that just wanted our content, they weren't likely to be customers or they weren't a good fit. And then people that were. Our open rates and our consumption and click-through and engagement were so much higher on our ICP. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. So sometimes you want to look at that stuff relative to each other because people are like, my open rate is 22%. Is that good? And I'm like, is it 22% for people that are like, that are good fits to be a customer? Is it not? And if you don't know, then it doesn't really matter, right? It's like, okay, 22% is opening. Is it 22%? Are they all people you want? I don't know. So it doesn't really help, right? So 
when it comes to metrics, I always tell people like try and dig down a level or two to that segmentation piece because that's going to matter a lot more. It's like if your open rate, you know, for us, our open rate was like 36% or something like that on our ICP. And it was like 28 or something on the non-ICP, right? So I care a lot more that I'm like, if we look at the average, we're like, okay, it's like 30%. That's great. What actually mattered though, is that it was 36% of the people we actually wanted, right? Like that's the thing we really care about. So Try and couch your metrics in what you want your outcomes to be. And those outcomes are not book demos. Stop. Again, (laughs) that's not the outcome. But we want to like dazzle the people that are potential customers, right? So those are the metrics that I would say, you know, if you can segment your list to understand that, you want that to skew that way. Click-through rate, you know, I think is important in that. And some of that really depends, though, on like how you do your newsletters. Like I have a customer where their newsletter is very long form, and that's the expectation. And there's maybe one link out that goes to something. I don't expect a high click-through rate for them because that's not the mechanism that that newsletter serves. It serves as like a one-to-one note from the founder to customer. So it's not supposed to be a high click-through rate. So don't get too hung up on that unless it's something that like you know, it's a downloadable huge guide. If no one's clicking through to get it, then yes, that's a problem. But just be realistic about, you know, is your email a clicky thing or is it a conversational thing? Just have, you know, I think people get very hung up on benchmarks about what that should be or shouldn't be. And I'm like, also keep in mind some places, you know, they'll sense in like our welcome emails had like five to six links and there was a lot of stuff for people to click on. So that increases the, you know, things that's going to catch someone's attention they're going to click on. That's a very different existence than something that has like a long form and and maybe a click to like contact us if you have questions yeah. or contact with ideas or something that you don't expect to get a lot from. Yeah. So click through rate's important, but I always say kind of keep that in, within context of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's a really good one. I always like to look at a couple things. One was, you know, uh, HubSpot does a really nice job of like heat mapping the mm-hmm. links that you have within the email. So like just going back every once in a while and kind of taking a look at like what were my most popular kind of pieces and like how did I phrase that in here? Like where else can I use that? So, you know, if 80% of the people that clicked clicked on this one link, clearly like how I set it up and what I said about it was of interest. So how can I use that elsewhere to get more people to go to that thing, right? So that felt like a really big one. I also like to look back, you know, this is a newsletter, we're sending it to the same people every time. Are there really engaged folks who are opening and clicking every time this gets sent? I need to relay that information to sales. That was a really big one for me was like, okay, this person at this great company that would be an awesome fit has opened our last three emails and clicked on the last two. Yeah, we included that in our department updates. We did, yeah, Yeah. because it was like, this is big. Like, let's, maybe we need to kind of like have an SDR reach out to them or whatever the case is. It was kind of the same thing on the acquisition side too. Like if I saw a big name come in, I'd give you a heads up and then we would kind of watch to see like, did they continue to engage? And like, it was awesome when like months later, they would still be on there and they hadn't unsubscribed, right? We're like, they haven't booked a demo yet, but they have not unsubscribed and they're still opening. It's such a good way to like, especially for those enterprise ones where it's like, there's less customers that are worth a lot more. That whole journey I think is, is really interesting to watch. Yeah. Helps you gauge the quality of like what we're doing is still working. I mm-hmm. still care. Yep. For sure. Totally. So, I mean, that's it guys. That's okay. Go build your newsletter program. <laughs> so easy. It all, I mean, you know, it took us like four to six months to really get us to get it humming, you know, and you had two people that have done this a long time doing it. So it's, I mean, it's not a, it's not an easy thing. It's so much experimentation. And I think people just get overwhelmed. You know, it's like, how do I get the people? And then what do I say when I get there? And it's kind of like tackle one piece at a time. You know, it's like, if you write the right content, I would say start 
there first and make sure you're writing the right stuff because the last thing you want to do is spend so much effort trying to acquire customers and have them be all the wrong ones. You know, and even as a media person, I'm like, this content does not align to who you want. Don't spend a dime. You know, it's like, don't spend anything trying to build this until you get this part figured out. So, yeah. I think we were, you know, I know you mentioned a couple of times, like, don't expect it to like drive, mm-hmm. you know, drive a bunch of demos, but like ours did. Right. Yeah. And so I think that is another measure of you're doing it right. It was absolutely a cherry on top, but I think the newsletter ended up being one of our kind of like top drivers of ICP demo requests. Yes. And And I I think that's a metric actually we didn't touch on, but it's a good one. A lot of times, you know, if you look in HubSpot, it's not going to attribute the demo to the newsletter because the odds that they're going to click from the newsletter and say, yeah, book a demo from the newsletter link are so small. They're going to just come direct later, right? So that was one of the things that we started putting into reporting was what's the overlap? You know, of these people that book demos, how many of them were on the newsletter. And then what we started doing was looking at how long ago did they join it? And we were finding it was out, it was averaging like a four month span, right? So that like, okay, so we're on like this rolling four month thing that most people that if, if they get on the newsletter list and they're going to become a customer or at least get a demo, it's probably going to take an average of four months. So then once you start getting that, it makes it so much easier to kind of like project out and understand what your newsletter is doing for you. Yeah. It's a metric. I can't believe we didn't think to touch on, but yeah, that, that crossover between who's a, you know, a member on the newsletter versus someone that books a demo. What what does that crossover look like? Totally. Drive the pipeline, baby. Yeah. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Well, I think that's everything. So now you have everything you need to stand up a small newsletter program and see how it goes. Yep. Newsletter away. Well, thank you for joining us again this week. Yeah. And that's marketing, baby. baby. And uh, we will see you next week. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of That's Marketing, Baby. Like what you heard? Please give us some love with a review. And don't forget to hop into our community list at thatsmarketingbaby.com to get more helpful tips, resources, and thoughts from us. See you next week.